Welcome to another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella. As you know, our show's mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. Well, last week we started a conversation with the commissioner of the Indiana Department of Revenue, Adam Krupp, who started to unveil how him and his team helped to rework the culture inside the Department of Revenue to make them into the Indy Stars' top 100 places to work. So as we look into, you know, when you have this momentum happening and you're, you're seeing, you know, some change, talk about some of the biggest obstacles and the things, that, you know, your brick walls that you came crashing into along this journey and how you started to, you know, overcome them or dismantle those walls. One of the biggest obstacles for me was when I started, uh, and this is unfortunate, but it's sometimes the nature of either the political process or state government generally, or if you don't have a good culture, you, you see a lot of turnover. I was the fourth commissioner for the Indiana Department of Revenue in about a three-year period. Okay, so it doesn't matter if you are for-profit, non-profit, government, any organization that experiences that level of turnover at the leadership position is going to struggle, and it's going to be a big hill to climb for that next person that comes in. Uh, whether it could be sports, right, with athletic programs or franchises. You know, if you fire the head coach, bring in another one. Two years later, you fire the head coach and bring in another one. Uh, the employees of the organization start to question, you know, what's our identity? So I. I thought we had an identity crisis at the Indiana Department of Revenue. That was other than other than being, you know, 37, 38 years old, uh, being an obstacle. Uh, we had an identity crisis. There was no consistent leadership for the organization. There was a lot of turnover. So we've got a lot of employees, and I see this in other agencies, and including ones where I've worked, where when you have a lot of employees that have been here for the course of their career. And I have over a one. I have over a hundred employees out of six hundred eighty-five actually that have been here thirty years or more. Over a hundred. Well, it, it, through no fault of their own, when they see me come in the door, they think because recent history warrants it. They think, well, this guy will probably be here for nine months to a year, maybe a year and a half if he's lucky. But then he's going to jump to the next thing, or he'll be let go just like the you know other people were. That is a huge obstacle. Uh, if you just think about the mindset of an employee who's coming in every day to want to do the right thing and to want to find inspiration and motivation, okay, well, let's not forget that when you bring in new leaders, those leaders, whether they're there for six months or three years or longer, they bring with them their own leadership team in many cases. They bring with them their own ideas about the strategic vision and the plan for the organization so, yeah, when I, when I put up a poster on the walls that features our new mission statement and some of our core values, trust me, I, I've, I thought there are a lot of people that are going to go, oh, great, here we go again. Adam's just going to change what probably changed the year before he got here. <laughs> um, so that is, a, that is an enormous obstacle. And what I always tell people is, it's like I said, it doesn't happen overnight, but what I tell people is, uh, you just have to stick with it. There are going to be people, number one, that don't like you right out of way, right? Because they either just, they don't like the way you look. They don't like the way you talk. Uh, they don't agree with your political beliefs. I mean, there are going to be people that are uh, don't like you because of the position you're in or the salary you make, you name it. 
you've got to stick with it and you have to trust, you know, your own beliefs and you have to trust what you want to do and your vision for the organization. Uh, so long as, you know, you have one and you've thought through it and you believe in it, uh, be authentic, be yourself and know that eventually, okay, if you walk the walk and you adhere to eyeball leadership and you are genuine, um, that people are going to come along for that ride and they will want to go on the journey with you. Um, and I think that's where we are now. Such a significant portion of our employee base is excited to be on this journey. But that number one obstacle right out of the gates, uh, if you would have asked me on that day, if I thought we would be where we are today, I would have said, gosh, I don't know. This is a, this is an enormous hill to climb. So let's go to, you know, the spot where, um, you know, you, you were fighting these battles. You had battle over battle. I mean, you're, you're, you have the, an entire culture that you're trying to combat, you know? And like you said, especially with high turnover rates, I mean, that only makes the walls taller and taller. The more leadership leave at a quicker rate, the, the taller the walls are going to get that you have to break down. So in those moments of, of disbelief for yourself, in those moments of, man, is this really going to work? Like when you were starting to question even everything you were doing, how did you push yourself to, to get through those low points? And, and how did you motivate you know, yourself to just stick with it? Well, I'm a student of leadership. So I, I continue to read books every day. I, I read more books now in this role uh, at this point in my career than I ever did before because I'm constantly wanting to learn. And when I'm struggling, or if we are introducing something that's not either working as I envisioned, you know, I like to, I like to pull from other sources and say, okay, what worked for other organizations? So I've got a notebook of ideas. I've got books, a stack of books on my desk here and at my home office. And just because I finished reading a book doesn't mean I'm done with it. And that, that's a, that's something to always remember you know, I'm always impressed when people have a, a beautiful library at home and all these books on the shelves, but, but my books are all highlighted and flagged and they're scattered throughout the office and I'll just pick one up and I'll turn to a chapter as a reminder, okay? Um, if I either need some inspiration or motivation, I'll pick up a book, but then I'll also think back to, you know, something great that we did here at the Department of Revenue and I'll remember when... You know, we did a, a celebration for certain employees and think, you know what, uh, those employees who are now inspired and happy and love what they do, that's because of what we're doing and the platforms that we're providing for them. So, you know, as selfless as you want to be, sometimes you do have to remember that, that you were part of that journey for them. Uh, and I get inspiration from that. Okay. Um, you know, I love what I do. I enjoy my job more than I ever thought imaginable and more than any of my other jobs that paid me a lot more money in life. Um, because at the end of the day, I'm very passionate about government service. Uh, servant leadership is critical and important to me. And so I get a lot of energy and positive momentum and motivation from seeing what we've been able to do for other people, uh, not just employees, but also those that we interact with, right? Citizens of Indiana have come up to me or have told people in our organization, you have completely changed my perception of state government. Uh, you have changed my beliefs about state employees. Okay, and to me, when I hear that, I'm like fired up and ready to go. Let's do this. Let's, let's get more people on board. And uh, I would say in the last six months, 
because you never want to get stale in your talking points and how you try to inspire and motivate your employees. And so the second half of 2019 for me is I try to get folks to say, let's change the conversation and let's focus on, you know, the narrative of state employees, especially at the Department of Revenue, and let's change it. We have an opportunity to do that. Every single interaction, every phone call is an opportunity. So I'll meet with our, our customer service center. These are folks on the phones every day um, that, you know, somebody is on hold for, let's say, 25 minutes and they don't have but more than 30 minutes of their time throughout the day. And we've just wasted 25 by making them wait. So by the time they get on the phone with us, they're upset. Uh, or they're, they've received a letter and it's kind of an adversarial situation already. So I just remind our call center folks, you know, remember our purpose. We're here to deliver great government service. We're public servants and our mission is to serve the state. So let's be positive. Let's be helpful. And now, and again, like in the last six months, I've said, let's try to change that conversation and view that interaction as an opportunity because every single one is different. So let's look at that moment, you know, when you started to notice the pivot where it was actually visible in your staff and almost becoming autonomous um, in the way people were reacting and like where everyone started to catch hold. You know, for you, how long did that take or, you know, what was that like when when the new culture and vision and all your hard work started to really get roots and started to start blossoming? About a year and a half. And I can point to that specific, I know that sounds specific, but I can point to that because we try to be uh, recognized as a top workplace after being here a year thinking, you know what, let's benchmark ourselves against top organizations in the private sector uh, specifically because top workplaces surveys are not designed for government institutions. And we are well aware of that. And so we participated in that survey and we did not make it. Uh, I can't say that we were shocked because we just thought we'll never make it. You know, the Indy Star Top Workplaces is not built for state organizations, number one. One of those other battles going back to what are the biggest obstacles. Well, another obstacle is compensation. Okay, we can't just give everybody a raise if we had a good year. I can't just give, you know, employees who are doing a great job a raise. Uh, that's just not the way the the state government engine works. Uh, it's sort of a formulaic process there. Um, so, you know, we didn't make it. And, but importantly, here's where the pivot comes in with the staff. We took the results of that survey because that's anonymous feedback from any employee in your organization that wants to participate. And I'll just say we had 86% participation in year one. Most organizations that participate in a best places to work or a top workplace survey because it's not required, uh, you'll, you'll see participation rates in the high 50s, low 60s. So we had 86% of our staff participate. And um, some of them were very passionate and supportive. Some of them were very passionate in the other direction. So the pivot occurs when we take those results and we were very transparent with our entire organization and we showed them what the results said, because I think it's so important for them to be aware too. not just think I'm going to take a survey. I'm going to spend 30 minutes telling them how I feel, um, give ideas for, you know, change. And then it go into some binder or report that sits on the shelf, collects dust, and they'll never do anything with it anyways. 
it's, a, it's such a detrimental effect, has unintended consequences. So we were very transparent about the results, put them on a big screen, we circulated, we had focus groups, and even the negative comments, which are all anonymous. But we would show our staff and say, here's what you said about leadership, okay? We are, we're here to recognize that one of the biggest weaknesses for our entire organization is sort of middle management and supervisors and how they care for and respect those who work for them and report to them. So at the executive leadership level, you know, we're developing leadership programs. We're bringing in um, new project management techniques. We're bringing in lean Six Sigma training, and we're trying to develop future leaders who are currently supervisors and team leads. And in addition to being transparent and showing those results and not being afraid of them, because I think some organizations are going to be afraid of what they see on paper and be like, oh, we could never show our staff this. No, I want everybody to see what their peers and colleagues are saying. So we took their feedback and then we started rolling out these action plans and we started telling teams, this is what you said. We've come up with three to five action items and here's what we're going to do about it so that by the end of the year, we can show you that we've really invested and that we've dedicated ourselves all the way up to the commissioner and the agency heads of the organization to change this for you. And we did those things about a year and a half in. And so I think that's where people bought in. That's where people said, these guys are actually here to do this. And they're not just going to be here for a year and jump to the next thing. Um, so tenure and longevity is one thing, but taking action based on their feedback has changed everything. So that's why I say it's about a year and a half, right? We took the survey, we got the results. It's middle of that second year. And we're doing all these things that are new to the organization that are for the betterment of the organization, which ultimately is the, for the betterment of, you know, Indiana. And it's all driven by what they wanted and their ideas. These aren't ideas that came from me necessarily or executive management. This is, this is what career employees who are here for the right reasons came to us and said, the department could really blossom if we did this. I know you'll never take this into consideration anyway, but we should do this. Well, we took it into consideration and we actually did it. And so that's, that's where things turned. So talk about that moment when, you know, all this hard work comes in. What did it do, not just for you personally, but for the organization when the results of the 2019 list came out and you guys were on that list, not just on the list, but number 12 out of, you know, only 15 large organizations to make the Indy Stars top, top places to work? Well, we were shocked, uh, <laughs> stunned beyond belief actually, uh, to go on this journey of trying to be recognized as a great place to work. Again, that's part of our vision statement that we set out for the future. It's really hard to capture and especially communicate to employees. What does that mean? How are you recognized as a great place to work? Well, thankfully, there is something uh, called Indie Stars Top Workplaces. And we said, you know, it's a vision, which means it won't happen overnight. It may never happen, but it's something that we can, you know, uh, aspire to achieve someday. Maybe it's five years, maybe it's 10 years, but let's drive ourselves to get there. So I, I don't know, maybe we did ourselves a disservice by making it so early. Um, but nevertheless, it was, it was so exciting. Uh, when it was announced, I knew a little bit before it came out in June because they like to release it in the print edition 
on a Sunday in the paper. I knew uh, before that it was, let me just tell you, it was the hardest secret I've ever had to keep. Uh, because, uh, I mean, you get chills. I got chills when we were told. I get chills thinking about it today because it's so inspiring and it's such a great story about the complete transformation and turnaround of a large organization that means so much to the state. I tell you, when I announced it to the organization in that auditorium with 350 people physically present, but also another probably 150 or so watching live, um, and the, the faces and the body language and the smiles said it all. Uh, the level of excitement. And, and you could just see, I mean, we threw a party, all right? There were balloons that fell from the rafters of the auditorium. Um, so, and we played music. We wanted this to feel like a monumental achievement because it is. It's the first time a state agency has ever been a top workplace in Indiana. So we wanted this to feel like an event a moment in history for the organization. And I wanted all of the employees who are a part of it at this, at this point in history, who have been here for 30 years, I wanted them to know how special it was um, and what it means to the organization and to them. And they're so proud. Um, being on the list, as you said, there's 15 large organizations and they're really popular. They're big. They're known for customer service. They're known for driving profits for their shareholders, you name it. And then you see the Department of Revenue listed number 12. Um, I, I couldn't believe we made it. But the beautiful thing about that is that in and of itself has inspired so many people in the organization to where I have people coming up to me saying, when are we taking that survey again? Because number 12 is not good enough. We want to be top 10. And I just think, so this is where you go, okay, let's put things in perspective. Everything's relative. But let's put this into perspective of that one incident, that conversation. I've got employees at the Department of Revenue that see being ranked number 12 on the top workplaces for the Indy Star for large organizations as now not being good enough. They want to be top 10. I mean, two years ago, it, it, it was unheard of. And people on the outside, probably that still don't even know that this has happened, probably say, that's funny. That'll never happen because you are who you are. Um, we go around the state and we travel. We talk about what's going on with the department. We give them updates on the organization and things that impact them as Hoosier taxpayers. And then every time I've done that since June, I always take some time to talk about our culture because I want people to know who's working for them as public servants. And so I talk about our culture and how we've rebuilt it. And I see the progression of the, the looks on people's faces. And then I put the trophy on the screen and the top workplaces logo. And I, I tell them that we made it and that we're one of the Indy stars top workplaces for 2019. And the last several times I've done that, it's a round of applause um, from the people in the room, a round of applause. So when we talk about changing the conversation and public perception, so when you ask about what was that moment where things pivoted with your staff, this is a moment where things have pivoted with uh, public perception. And I hate that it took a top workplace award to do that, but if that's what it took, we'll take it. Um, I, I mean, I've got rooms of people clapping about the Department of Revenue. Okay, let's, um, let's think about that, 
Right. Not something that <laughs> happens every day when you think that this Not place is, oh, Department of Revenue. Oh, what did you do to get put there? You know, so I want to to those. I mean, even people that listen to this, you always still get people who doubt, you know, people who think, oh, man, it worked for them. I it can't work for our organization because you just don't get our organization. You don't get, you know, that's great for you, but we're different because we do have to deal with this and this or we have this stigma. You know, what do you say to those who kind of have a, a doubt about it or say it's it can't be done in my organization you know what what would you tell um leaders who are right at their mountain that they got the invitation to climb but yet they're just doubting that it can be done i would say if we could do this anybody can I mean, we had some of the biggest obstacles in place starting from a position of you know climbing out of a hole uh, whether it's public perception, employee morale, not being able to meet compensation levels in state government that you find in the private sector, um, old technology, having to introduce new technology. But at the end of the day, it all starts with your, your mission, your vision, articulating the purpose, the core values for the organization, and taking care of your employees, okay? Um, it can't just be self-interest, or always focusing on people on the outside or your customers. I mean, we talk about taxpayers as customers. Okay, so we're a government institution, nonprofit, what have you, but we talk about customers and customer service. So there's a parallel there with uh, for-profit organizations uh, that are focusing constantly on their bottom line. So it applies across all organization types. And I know that as we said uh, earlier in the conversation, mission, vision, purpose, and core values is like a, a check the box for some. It really all starts there. Um, culture is everything. I've used that expression in a lot of presentations that I've given. Uh, we focus on our culture just as much as the service that we deliver. I firmly believe, and I would say this to any leader of any organization, nonprofit, for-profit, you cannot deliver customer service at the levels that you want without having a culture that is healthy and stable and consistent at the foundation of everything because that culture drives how your employees are going to treat other people. That culture is going to drive how your employees feel about themselves, about their own personal happiness and enjoyment. Um, and that, that always projects onto the people they're interacting with or how much energy and passion they put into the products they are building to ultimately sell to consumers um, or the service they're delivering over the phone. So it translates across all. But I would also tell people it's one of the hardest things you'll ever do, right? Um, and that's, that's kind of the, the part of the story that people have to remind me that I often forget Okay, it's like you tell the story of the transformation of a government agency from worst to first, if you will. And it happened in two and a half years, which in and of itself is a huge part of the story. But I need to remind myself to always share that this is the hardest thing I've ever done. I've worked in two corporate national law firms that only handle clients worth billions of dollars. And you go into court and you're up against the best of the best. And you work in 100 hours a week. Um, and you're, you're strung out and you're tired and, and you feel like there's no end in sight. I've been there. Um, I've also been a, a teacher in a classroom before. I've been a high school teacher. This, this is the hardest job I've ever had, but it's also the most fun I've ever had. So 
depending on how you're wired as a leader, challenge, uh, hills to climb can be really energizing. So I'm having more fun than ever. But I will say it's the hardest job I've ever had because of what we've had to do. But once you get there, uh, your job will be more rewarding than you could have ever imagined. And it's all worth it in the end. And you will, the blood, sweat, tears, the being the last one to leave as the leader of the organization on almost every night, um, which, by the way, your employees don't see, right? So they don't know that about you. And, and it would really not be a good look if you were just reminding them of that and telling them. So most of my staff, they have no idea that I'm the last to leave or that I'm leaving most nights at 7 o'clock. Um, you know, most of our staff, uh, government employees leave around 4.30 if they got in early. Um, so, so I just tell other leaders that this can be done, but you have to be prepared to work harder than you've ever worked before. Um, Simon Sinek has a great line in his book, Leaders Eat Last, that I adhere to, and I remind our staff and our leaders of the future uh, that leadership is not a license to do less. It creates a responsibility and obligation to do more. Okay, so if you become the leader of the organization, whether it's through promotion or then you enter the job fresh um, from the outside, the worst thing you can ever do is think that now that I'm running this organization, I've made it in my career. So I'm going to, you know, maybe kick my feet up and not work as hard. Uh, the same can be said in law firms. You know, I observed it. Partners in law firms worked harder than associates. But when you're an associate, you never imagine that. And you don't think that's the case. You think, I'm the associate attorney. I'm doing all the work for the partner to get all the credit and the glory and the money. But then as you get older and experience uh, time in the organization, you see that the partners are actually working really hard and in many cases harder than you. So as a leader, especially of you know, if you're at the top of the organization, just know that it's that personal commitment, it's the time, it's the energy, it's the passion, could be the hardest thing you'll ever do, but the payoff is uh, immeasurable and invaluable. Again, this was Adam Krupp, Commissioner of the Indiana Department of Revenue, who along with his team took this department from zero to now being on Indie Star's top places to work. Adam, just want to thank you so much for your time and for your wisdom shared here on the ROI podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's been a blast and I love telling the story of our transformation and also the journey of how we were able to get from where we were to where we are today. And, and I just hope it continues because that's never guaranteed. This has been another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella. Our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. We'll see you next week.